0: This is the Right Now Podcast with Sarah Werner. Episode 127, Honoring the Dreamer with Marguerite Croft. Welcome back again this week, friends. I am so glad you're here. I am even more glad that I have with me just such a wonderful and beautiful person who I am so excited to talk about. Today I have with me on the show Marguerite Croft, who is a writer and also audio dramatist. Marguerite is just Absolutely one of those people who whenever uh, whenever I talk to Marguerite, I just feel centered and I feel just wonderful. And I'm hoping to bring some of that to you today. So Marguerite, welcome. Welcome to the show. Oh,
1: thank you, Sarah. I'm so touched. I'm going to listen to that. Like whenever I feel down.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I hope you do. Good. It's so wonderful to have you here. I would love if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about your journey as a writer. Yes, I'd be happy to.
1: Okay. So first of all, this is sort of a personal and cultural practice that's important to me that folks might run into if they spend time with um, indigenous folks. So I'm a first-generation descendant of the White Earth Nation, uh, Minnesota Chippewa tribe, which means that my mom and my ancestors all the way back are enrolled. And I do not have full enrollment status for complicated reasons, but I I wanted to include my tribal affiliation.
0: Thank you.
1: So yeah, so I'm a writer. I work on Point Mystic. I've started doing writing there. I've done um, story editing and developing and script editing and stuff with Christopher Renaga f- since episode two. I also write fiction. Uh, I haven't had anything out in a really long time because I've been focusing on learning how to write novels. Mm. But once upon a time, I, I published some short stories and things. I'm a graduate of Clarion West Writers Workshop out of Seattle, which was is one of the highlights of my life. It was an amazing experience. And I love primarily writing what would be considered speculative fiction or fabulous fiction. I have been passionate about writing for what's referred to as young adults or people who read middle grade for my whole writing career. So I'm really working on learning how to do that. And, uh, it's brought me here and i'm super i'm super excited that you asked me to talk about writing. It's one of my favorite things to talk about.
0: Well, it's one of my favorite things to talk about, so we have that in common. <laughs> Gosh, i am just so i'm so grateful and so delighted that you're here with us today. I have so many questions i would like to ask you, but i guess first and foremost, what brought you into working on Point Mystic? What brought you into audio drama? Okay. Well, so I grew up in a super tiny, small
1: rural town in Idaho, and we didn't have a lot of media entertainment at the time, but we did have radio Mm. and we had a local radio station that would play old radio dramas like every Monday night and Christmas and Halloween. They had hours of old radio dramas that met the theme of the holiday and Those were some of my most favorite things. And so when I was young, I tried to make my own radio dramas and loved it and passionate about NPR and this American life. And when I met Christopher, it was something that we had in common, like this passion for radio and this this little fantasy about, oh, maybe someday being able to do something like that. Mm. And he started Point Mystic is like a family project, a fun thing to do. And that was it that was it. It was like, all right, we're going to do this, this fun thing. And then it ended up being something that brought us into the podcasting community, which like, what a glorious gift.
0: (laughs) Yes, same. (laughs) Gosh, thank you for sharing that. I talk to a lot of writers who co-write things and never really feel like the project is maybe fully theirs, or they don't get the full recognition that they deserve on a project. And I'm curious, you know, talking about writing this first novel, or or learning how to write a novel, is that the first project that's sort of mainly for you? You know, my prose stuff that
1: I've done has largely always been for me. So it's actually like the podcast, with the exception of a short short story that Christopher and I wrote together. This is the first time I've collaborated with anybody on writing anything. Yeah. How has that experience been then? You know, generally it's been really good, but it's it's also been a challenge figuring out how to do it, particularly since he's got all this stuff in his head mm. and it hasn't all been downloaded into mine. Mm-hmm. And I know that like he has senses of where it's going and he's also holding it loosely because sometimes things happen. It's like, oh, this is actually better for the story. But figuring out how to merge the process has been a challenge. Uh, he had his system down. I'm like, my brain works differently. I don't understand what all these things mean. Because he uses a different structure than typical screenplay oh. or audio drama structure for his scripts and things. And so getting me on board to write rather than simply like edit and work on developing and um, supporting him like through the brainstorming creation process of a script, actually getting there and writing together on it. It's like, how does how does this work? How do we come together? And also, I want to respect that it's really been very much his, mm. and I didn't want to step on his toes. So part of our process has been me getting comfortable with also taking some ownership on the page in a way I haven't before. Oh,
0: yeah. What does that look like for you? Like, what does what does that taking ownership look like? Is it, is it your voice coming through more clearly, or is it making more kind of executive decisions, or, or what does that process look like?
1: Um, It was largely like being willing to make some decisions or say, you know, and and I would say to him with a script before, like, this isn't working. This is what needs to happen, I think, for it to work, things like that. But for me to actually get on the page and say, okay, this isn't working. And we've talked it through enough that I know what the intention is. Mm -hmm. And I believe I know what this needs. So I recently, I simply dug in and before I would ask, like, is this okay? What do you think about this? How does this work? Really asking for a lot of permission. Permission. Right. So it was getting to a point where I knew enough and I understood of the background and where things were headed enough that I could simply go in and say, okay, these sections aren't working. So I'm simply going to rewrite them. Yes. And that's going to be okay because we've archived drafts and things. Well, we, <laughs> uh, so yeah, it was having the knowledge and also giving myself permission that it was okay.
0: Mm. Yeah.
1: And I was really proud of myself. It's like, yeah, okay. I'm going to fix this. I know how to fix this. I'm going to rewrite it. It'll be great. And it is, <laughs> yeah. it, it, it worked great. And it was, It's been a wonderful experience. He's so welcoming and he's and he's wanted this. He's wanted it to be a joint process together. So, you know, we share Word Doc, and we can go back and forth and I'll rewrite things and make notes about why I made changes I did. And then maybe he'll shift some things around. And so it's become
0: more organic. Mm. But it's really very recent that that's happened. It's been a process. Yeah. And it feels like it feels like it would be is there just absolutely anything that you've clashed heads on or that that you've foreseen coming up That like, oh, we're, you know, we're really going to struggle with this? Or has it really been? I I think just what I'm getting at is I feel like Christopher would be a very good person to co-create with.
1: Absolutely. He's very kind and very generous and very supportive. And he's always been so incredibly supportive of my writing in a way that You know, very few people in my life have been like so supportive and so generous and so easygoing. And we also have a very common background. We went to Clarion West together. So we have a common writing language and we're used to constructively critiquing each other's work. Like that was the foundation of our relationship.
0: Oh, I love that.
1: Yeah, so it's, I know sometimes it can be a little scary. It's like, oh, I care about this person. What are they going to think about this thing that I wrote? But it is so naturally part of our relationship that it's worked well. And we also have um, very common tastes. Mm. And so I think that helps too.
0: I love that. Tell me a little bit about your tastes and what you prefer to write. Oh, so personally, what tends
1: to come out is some might call it magical realism, like American magical realism. Some might call it fabulous, but it tends to deal with realistic world and presumably magical or fabulous things happen. So it's, it's playing with the edges of reality. Like, I, you know, it's not uncommon for me to write a story that is fairly domestic. And then there is this presumably ma- magical element that shows up. And there's a part of my brain, like, the, realistically, I'm like, yeah, this is fantasy. This is fantastical. And there's also a part of my brain that's like, no, this is how reality works. And, and I think it's my heritage. It's living in this world and being raised by women who believed. And, and, and I mean, and my dad's side of the family, too, were, uh, had beliefs, too. Um, they, from my dad's side, I'm, I'm Mormon pioneer stock. So, you know, ancestors that pushed their hand carts across the plane to get to Salt Lake City kind of situation. And they have lots of um, what would be considered a real stories on that side and and ways of looking at the world. But definitely my mom and my grandma, too, where things that reality says isn't real are actually real. You know, House of Spirits, like another like classic magical realistic Mm -hmm. book is like, this is how it works. And I use it as a touch point for what I write. But I also want to be really cautious of, because people know what the term means. Like I use I'm using it here because I'm assuming mm-hmm. people know what that means. But also it I mean, it originated in Germany and then went to South America. And it has this like South American origin that I think is important. Like I'm, it's important for me to recognize that. And it's also very political. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of my work deals with very similar things, but simply from an American context so I do write things and there is this political element considering how like the indigenous people of North America were colonized and what's happened with that. It's, it's similar, but I'm not quite sure what to call it if I don't want to call it magical realism. Does that make any sense? That makes perfect sense. I feel like this is a lot of, I'm saying a lot of things to say something that's probably very simple.
0: No, I really really appreciate that nuanced response. I think that's that's really lovely and it's really honest. I also had never heard the term fabulist before. That was a new one for me as well. Is that similar to magical realism or very different or It it is my
1: understanding of it it is that it is similar, but it often includes things that have like a more mythic origin. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, um I believe Peter Straub edited it. There's this great book I love from the the mid-2000s called The New Wave Fabulous. And it's got a bunch of great, fun stories in it. Like it was part of, I believe, the Conjunctions series. I read that book and I was like, oh yeah, okay. (laughs) This makes sense to me. This is how it works.
0: (laughs) I love that. I love this like really fluid... Version of reality and realism, and understanding that you know what's real isn't real for everyone, and it's it, it can be very subjective, and it can be very just relative, yeah, and, and very personal. Yes, and very very personal. I love that. I'm I'm so interested in what is magic, what is real. Is there is there anything in particular within that that you find yourself drawn to exploring? So. One thing that shows
1: up a lot in my work, and when I say that, what I mean is, like, these are the images and the concepts that rise from, you know, that dreamer piece of me that's down deep inside, Mm. like, my subconscious and and whatever. These are the things that, that show up when I start, you know, dreaming about what I'm going to write, are magical things like mermaids, which my tribe has mermaid stories traditionally, uh sasquatch or we don't we don't or bigfoot we do, we call him something else but you know like the big hairy primate spirits or magical creatures or uh, real events things that would be considered like fantasy events um i'm trying to figure out how to get more specific for you
0: no this is <laughs> anything that you're happy and willing to talk about like this is all this is all perfect and lovely
1: yeah, but like like things like that show up, uh, and it's like the story that that got me into Clarion West was about these teenage girls, and one of them's dealing with the death of her boyfriend, mm. and she ends up having a relationship with a bear who's also mourning, like the bear's partner, and it was like, well, of course this makes sense because of the nature of the story, having this bear there made sense and it. And I realized like in the Western tradition, it has this animal bridegroom origin. I can see that there, which is possible. And um, you know, there, there's probably other parts of my psyche from where it came from, but it's, it was about them like coming together and healing mm. and building this new relationship. And she has a sister who's the narrator of the story, who has the opportunity seeing her sister being happy in this sort of interesting relationship in this interesting new reality, new world kind of situation. And she decides that's not what she wants. She wants her typical suburban teenage life Mm. uh, with prom and Dairy Queen. And, and those, (laughs) she doesn't, she doesn't want the magic, but she doesn't want the bear. (laughs) Right. But, but, but that was what her sister needed and that's what her sister wanted. And, you know, delving into like the relationships with two people who love each other really much with the sisters and how one wants one thing to make the life she wants and how it doesn't make sense to the other one. And she struggles with that, but realizes, well, this is what my sister wants and she's happy Mm. and, and I can still have my relationship with her, but it's different now. And it takes effort because she's in a different place than we were before.
0: Oh, I love that do you so when you write a story like that do you sort of thumbtack a moral onto it like hey this is a lesson I want you to take away or do you prefer to let the story simply exist
1: I yeah I don't I don't tend to think about themes or like lessons or anything like that mm. but it can also become It's like oh I see what this I see what the story mm. is trying to say and so deep down I imagine that you know part of me is trying to say something here I can see the connection because I think our brains are super smart, <laughs> especially deep down in there. Um, but that's that's not my intention going in.
0: I appreciate that. It's one of the things that you said earlier in this interview that I really liked. Is you you talked about your writing as what tends to come out as though it's a runaway horse or it is this thing that maybe you're not fully in control of. And I would love to ask a little bit more. About where this writing comes from, just for you as as a as a person. Okay, so here's my theory about how this okay. works.
1: <laughs> I believe that for a variety of reasons, I've got a bunch of stuff down in my subconscious. I think about it as a compost pile. Ooh, and it includes all my life experiences, and you know the people I've known, and the things they've said, and the things that have happened to me and the things i've read and tv i've watched and like the you know radio dramas like everything is down in there in like this compost pile and my subconscious has worked with it and played with it over time and if i listen to myself and i'm open and accepting and willing that those things will come up in images or ideas especially for me images And that if I hold it gently and don't try to control it, which is easier said than done, because I want to be smart and say, this is how it should work. And this is how the structure should work. And all those sorts of things that that doesn't work. And that's not having a good relationship with my subconscious, I suppose. Mm. But if I'm, I'm gentle with it and I ask questions and I'm curious and I say, well, what if this? And if what if that? Well, what if the opposite were true or why is that? that answers will come and maybe they don't come exactly when I want them to come because it would be nice to be like a little happy little writing factory where I can create (laughs) widgets on demand. And that's not how my brain works. But if, if I, if I do that, that these things will come, like if I'm open and gentle and, and kind and accepting and say, yes, more of that, please, more of that, please. And I'm supportive and encouraging like the things come up and the ideas come up. Which, which is one part of your question. I have something that goes a little further if you're interested. Yes, please. All right. Please, please. So, I am here.
0: <laughs> so, I'm here for everything you have to say.
1: Oh, th- thank you. I appreciate that. Um, we we might have actually talked about this before. Are you familiar with Graham Joyce? He was a, a, like a fantasy, mm-hmm. I think also horror writer.
0: Let's assume that I am not, and none of my listeners are either.
1: Okay, good deal. Uh, he passed away a handful of years ago, so he's not going to be on the front of people's like consciousness, like awareness right now, probably. He wrote this lovely book called Facts of Life, and he wrote Smoking Poppy, and he wrote Indigo, and The Tooth Fairy, and Requiem, like a bunch of books. And he was from England, and I met him at World Fantasy the World Fantasy Convention in San Jose in like, I think it was Halloween 2009. And you know he was he was hanging out with Peter Straub. And one of the lovely things about Christopher is he doesn't like if he sees people hanging out and he wants to talk to them, he'll just go up and talk to them. And I'm like, that's Graham Joyce and Peter Straub. Like they're having a conversation like I don't want to interrupt them. And he's like, oh, that's Graham Joyce and Peter Straub. I want to say hello.
0: <laughs> I love that. I love that. We all need someone like that in our lives.
1: Yes, yes, yes. I I consider like he's an introvert, but I consider him my extrovert intermediary. Like he's (laughs) he's like my social lubricant to to talk to people. It's like oh, they don't like why would they want to talk to me? And which is ridiculous. That's never been my experience. That people didn't want to talk to me. They're so kind, but you know these things that we tell ourselves.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, So we go up to Peter Straub and Graham Joyce and Peter Straub, who is certainly probably like better known for sure. Like he's kind of one of the horror, you know, granddaddies kind of thing, right? (laughs) (laughs) And he's chatting with Graham Joyce and Graham Joyce had just taught like an afternoon workshop in Seattle for an organization affiliated with Clarion West. So I said, oh, well, what did you teach? Because I am happy to garner wisdom I didn't get when I went through. And he said, well, I taught about, you know, when we write, we have a dreamer and a writer and an editor like there's three different like roles or um sort of identities that that are involved in the writing process and how they each have to do their own job and uh we got to keep the other ones out of the room when you know each are doing their job and we need to give them all their own time and we tend to combine them or remove one and the one that tends to get removed the most is the dreamer Mm. So when the dreamer who's like dealing with the daydreaming and the fantasizing and the what if and playing like 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 for myself with my compost pile and with my subconscious, <laughs> like if the dreamer doesn't get to do their job, like the, the 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 story is really missing out. And then when the dreamer's done with their work, with their draft, with their brainstorming, then the writer needs to come in, and you know create the shape. And make the story make sense. And uh, connect things. And when they're done, then the editor gets to come in. like And the editor who always wants to come in, right?
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> My editor's very nosy. Very
1: okay. nosy. Like very proactive.
0: <laughs> yes. That's, that's a nicer, that's a kinder way of putting it.
1: Proactive. Yes. Nosily proactive. Yeah, when the dreamer and the writer are done, then the editor can come in and, and really clean things up. But he's like, yeah, if we forget one, like it's a mess. Mm. And he's like, can't forget to include the dreamer. And I noticed, I was like, oh my gosh, after I came out of Clarion West, I was silencing the dreamer part of myself a lot and expecting the writer and the editor to know how to do the dreamer's job. And they don't,
0: Mm. like
1: they super don't know how to do that job in the way that the dreamer does. So I've been mindful about being kind to that part of myself so that they can do their job because they give so much. Wow,
0: the first time that you told me about this, it completely changed how I write and create. And I want you to know that, like I have a sticky note over here that says dreamer, writer, editor. Can you tell us a little bit more about what it looks like for you to nurture that dreaming part? Because I know for me, whenever I'm sitting here having ideas, my editor is like, hey, that's a good idea. That's a bad idea. And it's very judging. And it's very like, hey, let me just just sweep that up for you. How do you give the dreamer space and how do you honor that part of yourself as a writer?
1: Well, one thing I do is I intentionally take that part of myself seriously, like in the way like the self-talk and the language that I use, I spend a lot of time writing by hand. And so like images or things will come up. And so I allow it and I say, yeah, yeah. Like, and let, let me play with that and see if it's anything. And maybe it's not, but for this project, perhaps. But I want to make it safe for myself to bring those ideas. And so I treat myself, that dreamer part of me, like I would want someone else to treat me if I was collaborating with somebody and I was bringing ideas. So I'm kind and I'm considerate. I work to be kind and I work to be considerate and open and write the ideas down and play with them and say, yes, 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 more of that. And sometimes I'll say, oh, you know what? Like, that's really interesting. And maybe not that right now. Like, Mm -hmm. thank you, but not right now. Like, what else? What else do you have? And maybe direct it like, do you have anything about... You know, pine trees or something, whatever I need, right? And I give myself like maybe something will come up right away. And sometimes I've learned if I take a little nap or if I sleep on it or I give it a couple days or I go for a walk, like I will give myself what I'm looking for. Oh gosh! Like again, it's not um, necessarily on my timeline, right? right? Because I would like it right now. Let's just do it done and make make the writing widgets. (laughs) But. If I am kind and gentle with myself, it shows up. And it's when I am hard on myself. That's a stupid idea. That's ridiculous. That makes no sense. That's not what I'm writing about. Like when I say things like that, it shuts that part of myself down. Mm-hmm. I, which makes total sense. Like I, I would shut down if somebody talked to me that way. I mean, obviously, I am. Like this is all part of me. I'm talking about myself. Like I'm different entities. But, but yeah, yeah. Like be kind. Like, if I'm kind with myself, I'll show up. I'll show up for myself. And so it's treating myself with love and consideration and respect. And those pieces of me will do the work, do what I ask. Yeah, and I write them down. And I think that that's another clue that I'm taking it seriously. Mm -hmm. And it also helps me play with it or play with the ideas or record them. But it's also like, yeah, like I'm writing this down. I take it seriously.
0: You know, it's just such a beautiful and refreshing difference from something Like um, I recently reread Do the Work and The -hmm. the War of Art and a couple other books that are very aggressive and very demanding. And, you know, hey, sit down, get your butt in that seat and get your words out. Mm -hmm. And there's no other way to really do this. And this really gentle and kind and questioning aspect of things really doesn't ever make it through and in a lot of those like how to write books it seems very directed and aggressive and you know sort of like you're you're pulling thread out of somewhere and it's very taut and you have to keep pulling whereas this gives a little bit of the thread back and now I'm getting into a weird metaphor that I don't know where it's going but there's just there's such an element of grace and and also this very almost paradoxical way of being intentional about trusting yourself, but letting yourself trust yourself. Like you're not hundred percent in control of that. And that's really fascinating to me.
1: Yeah. Like I've learned that my, like my top brain, like this conscious part of my brain that wants to be smart and control everything. So everything's okay and safe and, and works the way that it should work. That, that, that doesn't work. It can't control everything. Just like it can't control other things in my life. It hasn't worked for me, you know, to your point about writing books and other like be, like, be a professional, get in the chair. Like I absolutely like I, I have my writing time. This is this is when I'm working. And but I'm also recognize that I need to figure out what that means for me individually. And it changes day to day. I've had periods in my life where I had friends who were also like professional writers and much, much further along in their careers than I was. And they'd be like, all right, we're going to write together. And this is what it is. And we're getting in the chair and we are we are professionals and this is a business. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, absolutely it is. But like if I would start playing with ideas or working with ideas or not working in the way they thought was working, because I'm not sitting at my laptop making new words, but I'm... working with things in other ways, it was like, you're not working, you need to get back on task. And that I was like, okay, they're further along, they know. Okay, okay, I'm appreciating their feedback. I'm going to try to make this work. And it didn't like it really shut me down. Mm. And so I've learned, yeah, like, this is when I show up for my writing and, and having that sort of self-discipline but also saying, OK, today it's it's not coming at my desk, like it's not working at my desk. It's OK to go outside or it's OK to take a recorder and walk and, and talk through it. And it's OK to sit, you know, elsewhere and, and work elsewhere. Like what I'm trying to say is that I've learned it's OK to be flexible for me as long as I'm still showing up and doing the work, if
0: that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. This whole time our audience can't see us, but this whole time, I have been nodding so hard, I'm going to get a headache. Like, yes, to absolutely everything that you've said. And there's so much there. There's, there's so much there with what it means to create a process that works for you and to nurture and honor a system that works for you and making sure that you make space for that dreaming part that is so easily forgotten. And I think overlooked by so many people Um, And and discarded because it's not immediately productive, it's not in in the sense of like churning out words and getting your word count for the day. And I'm curious, in sort of like deviating from what other people say that you should be doing, did you feel like, as with other things, you sort of needed permission to do that? Or did you have to give the permission to yourself to do that? Or what did that look like for you?
1: There was this point where I realized I have a tendency to walk into situations with like serious glass empty beginner's mind Mm. and um, which can be really useful and it can also be a problem. Like there's a balance point I'm still working on, but I realized that I needed to change my environment and how I was working to suit me as an individual rather than make me change and adjust to suit a work environment or how a writer's supposed to work. And once I realized I'd done that, it was like, oh, okay, well, that's what I need to do is make it suit me.
0: Did you notice a change in your creativity or change in your writing when you did that?
1: Absolutely. Like overnight, (sighs) it it was mind blowing. It was like, this is what we're doing. This is the sort of thing that feels good for me. And we're going to set it up this way. And I asked for, for support from my family. This is what I need to do to make space and, and, uh, and make it work for me and, and they supported me and yeah, overnight, like overnight change.
0: I love it. I want to encourage those of you who are listening to really, really take this to heart. I, I'm still working on taking it to heart myself, but I know how, how important that is. Thank you for sharing all of this.
1: Oh, my pleasure.
0: I want to ask about your experience with Clarion West. I feel like that was a huge milestone or or I don't know how you would prefer to describe it, but I feel like it was a big event and a big moment for you. Can you tell us a little Mm -hmm. bit about what that experience meant to you and what you took away from it? Yeah,
1: yeah. It was life changing for me. And everybody has their own experiences, of course. And I know that it wouldn't necessarily work or hasn't worked for everybody, I want to be clear about that because sometimes there's been sort of this, oh, the Clarions or, you know, like they are like the thing. And sometimes people haven't had a great experience for them for whatever reason. It didn't work for them or it's not an environment that would work for everybody. And I don't want to like set it up as like the end all be all and like be like this evangelist where, you know, I know that. It is not like this one true way sort of situation. I appreciate that. So I want to say that. Thank you. <laughs> um, but it changed my life. I'm I'm from small town Idaho and I'm female. And, you know, my dad's white, my mom's Native American, and I'm growing up in this part of the world where there's a lot of judgment about that. Mm. And, you know, I had a lot of expectations for who I should be. My parents were both super intelligent and... I I was recently diagnosed with ADHD and I didn't know growing up and so teachers were often disappointed in me. Oh. It's like your parents are so smart. What happened to you kind of oh thing. Oh my gosh. I'm You sorry. know like yeah it, it it was it was really hard and my parents were like what's wrong with her? Like some things like she's not but we don't know but she seems like she's a smart kid like we maybe if she worked harder Maybe if she watched less TV, I wasn't watching TV. Yeah. Like, you know, what's going on with their kids? So she's not showing up in the way we're expecting her to. And I would run into that in college as well. Like people would be disappointed in me because I didn't function the way they thought I should function. And I knew it was an issue and I knew that I didn't and I didn't know why. And I think it was a combination of I grew up in a period where, you know, if one was not like a white cis neurotypical male you know, is one smart? Is one capable? What really can we expect from somebody? And I ran into that in college as well. And so I had always felt like I'm working really hard. I see I'm typically working harder than everybody else and I don't get anywhere. And what value do I have for the world?
0: Oh my gosh.
1: But one thing I could do is generally I'd always been a pretty good writer and I loved doing it. And, you know, my teachers would say, well, she wants to do these other things, but she should just be a writer. And it was like, well, mm. I mean, that would be fine. I could do that. But, you know, uh, like nobody makes money doing that. That's not a profession. <laughs>
0: mm. And also like weirdly like backhanded validation. Yeah, like
1: yeah, it's kind of, yeah. it was weird. It was weird. It was like, you know, I, I wanted to go into anthropology and things like that. And it was like, well, you should stick with the arts. You're an artsy person.
0: Oh my God.
1: You know, like you're talking about like, social sciences and you have to have some sciences and those things are hard. Like you should just just do the arts. Which yeah, 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 which is bananas. how do you feel
0: about that now? Like looking back on it?
1: uh well, I mean first of all they were wrong. Yeah. I, I have a I have an anthropology degree. Yes. Uh in, in biological anthropology 'Cause you're amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um and I did biomedical anthropology and yeah, so A I was able to do it. Um, and be writing is hard work. It is a skill. Yeah. it is a serious skill. It, it was it was bananas. It was it was mind blowing. And also, I'm like, well, I, I get I get it. I also get it. Like culturally, it the anthropologist, right? Yeah, culturally, it makes sense. I mean, yes, <laughs> and, with that right. lens,
0: yes, but yeah, the value it sucks. system.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It really, it really did. It really did. But I, I also love doing it. And I loved reading and all the sorts of things that's associated with writing. And also, incidentally, anthropology is a really great major for someone who wants to be a writer. Oh, I bet. I wrote a ton. Like in graduate school, I was writing a hundred pages a week. Great discipline for people who want to be writers. Oh like gosh. particular branches of anthropology, right? Yeah. So it was it was good training, and. I decided to to leave that. I was really uncomfortable with a lot of things that was going on in anthropology. I had a lot of ethics Mm. and morals around how people are treated and how communities are worked with. And I wasn't seeing that happening. People were using minorities to get ahead. Power money, right? Like, Like, this will get me grants. This will get me tenure. And I was really struggling with that. And I didn't see that changing anytime soon. So I decided to take a break and have kids. I wanted to have kids. And my brain wanted to do things. Mm -hmm. So I started writing. I had written off and on through school, but I started writing again and really focusing on it. So I'm a housewife in Idaho who also had had an experience of never really measuring up Mm -hmm. in life. So I applied to Clarion West and the instructors are Paul Park who I don't think is as well-known as a lot of people. And it's unfortunate because I think he's a great writer and Mary Rosenblum, who's passed away now, but she was a great writer and a really smart, savvy, incredible woman, Connie Willis, Mm. who's like won so many awards and is amazing. And Corey Doctorow, who's also wonderful. And uh, Sheree R. Thomas, who's a fantastic writer, and now she's editing fantasy and science fiction. And Chuck Polinick, who was amazing, so amazing, like this wonderful lineup of people. And it was a point in my life where it was like, okay, this is a huge sacrifice and a huge privilege to even be able to do it, but I can go to Seattle for six weeks. So I applied. And it was a really super competitive year. And I got in. Like, how did this happen? Like, it was some sort of you know, magical fantasy that had come Mm -hmm. true. Wow. Like maybe I'm good at something, like really good at something. Maybe, you know, outside of like being a human being and therefore having value, like maybe I'm actually capable of doing something well. Maybe like I have promise because that, that hadn't been the case before. Nobody'd, even if somebody like like say you know my professors in anthropology like maybe if they'd seen potential at some point they were kind of like yeah like you have potential but also they 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 wanted i guess to put their eggs in other baskets and so it was really it was really hard it was really painful and it was like wow like it felt it felt like somebody i i was seen and validated in a way that i'd never been before in my life and that was that was simply getting accepted and i went and the most amazing classmates like smart amazing writers really sharp and insightful and cool and fun and i had to live with them in a sorority house for six weeks (laughs) it was like it would be
0: really fun it was like disneyland every day
1: (laughs) and we got to work with these amazing writers and they were all like really supportive and validating and there was this point, uh, we, we had one-on-ones with all the, the visiting writers. And there was this point where Connie Willis was like, yeah, you can do this. You can have a career doing it. Now, you're not going to make the best cupcakes for the bake sale. And you're not <laughs> going to have like, the cleanest house. And you know, people are going to be upset that you're not always there for them the way they want you to be. And, but you can do this. And that's what I kept hearing over and over is you can do this. You can do this. People I respect and admire and value are telling me that something I love doing, that I never considered is something I would ever do other than like sometimes for fun when I had time, like, oh, it's Saturday, maybe I'll write a story, that I might be able to create something of value that had quality. It opened up my world in terms Mm -hmm. of my potential because I believed I was capable of doing things. But that was not
0: something I intended to hear in my life. I'm so glad you heard it. And that so many people said, yeah, you can do this. Yeah. Because yeah. you can and you are doing it and you're amazing.
1: Oh, thank you, Sarah. Thank you. Yeah. I, I really wonder about how many people slip through the cracks who are capable of so many things and they, they slip through the cracks. Mm-hmm
0: we all we're all searching for that validation and i think it's very rare that we get it yeah or that we get it when we need it or in the way that we need it or from the people like from whom we need it so i'm i'm very grateful very grateful that you got that
1: me too me too like it wasn't why i went
0: i wanted to learn how to plot from connie willis right like that's why i went (laughs) (laughs)
1: I appreciate that. And and I wanted to make community and meet Mm. other people who are writers and, you know, that kind of thing. And I know that some people do go for validation and that can be a painful thing when it doesn't come the way that the people need. And but it it did it did come for like I did feel that I did experience Mm. that. And I learned so much about writing, so much about writing and, Mm -hmm. and about me as a writer And the writing I was doing, I I came out understanding it in a way that I hadn't before.
0: In addition to this enormous mindset shift of validation and, and understanding that like, oh, I can do this. I mean, what else did you take away? Like what else shifted or changed for you during this experience?
1: I realized what I was capable of in a way I hadn't before. And I learned about things that light me up in ways that like other things don't, like where where my passion lies. Mm. And I got to have more of a sense of who I am. I think that when one steps outside of normal everyday to day life and gets some time away, like there's there's that opportunity to see things differently. Mm. And I got time away from I mean, the, the people who are around me and it's, and it's not that I didn't have like, and, and still don't like lovely friends. Like I'm still friends with a lot of people I knew from that time and other people, you know, had other people in my life that, that weren't wonderful and lovely. But also I was, I was living in circumstances in a culture where there were expectations for me, for, for who I should be and what my value is, you know, and it's be a good wife, raise your kids, have the perfect house. These are all the things you're supposed to do to be a valuable, productive member of society. And I came out saying, you know, I realized some people in my life were not always kind to me that did try to hold me down. And I was able to see that and realize, oh, wow, when they say these things to me, like it hurts. And there's a reason why it hurts and it's not okay. So I I was able to look at my writing in a new way and understand myself as a writer in a new way? And what does it mean for me to be a human living where I'm living? Like, am I living the life I want to live? Am I surrounding myself with the sorts of people I want in my life? Am I surrounded by the kind of community I need? How do I want to be a better mother? How do I want to be a better like citizen of the world? Like all these sort of big questions what do I want for myself and how do I give myself those things?
0: That's so heavy. That's so much, but it's so important. Yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh.
1: And it goes into the writing, right?
0: Yeah. Yes. It totally
1: feeds into the writing. Like if I'm happy, if I can make myself happy, like give me myself the things that make me happy to the best of my ability. Because like there's no 100%, right? But Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but what can I do to give myself the life I want with as much happiness and joy as possible, so that I am living a good life. And also so that I can I can write and do the work that I want to do because that brings me joy. Like that's part of the joy. And really for me, like the biggest question is ultimately how does this also make me a better mother for my children?
0: Did your children notice a difference?
1: Uh, they were really young. So Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't know that they did. They were super young. But I did notice after I came back that in talking with my older son, I noticed he was picking up language about expectations for people and putting people down and like sorts of things I'd heard others people say and like sometimes about me. And it's not that he was like he's, you know, six years old and he's parroting back what he's hearing around him in the community. It's like, oh I see that now, like it's really loud now, I've been away from it. And so what can I do as a mother to teach him other ways and to live my life so that that's the model that he has. So that while he's making his own compost pile, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, it's different ways of living are, are seated within him. Like, you know, living, living a good life and living the life he wants and not settling for things that makes him unhappy and working to achieve his goals and to give himself what he wants.
0: That ripple effect is truly incredible. The fact that you had that experience and then sort of by proxy, you brought that experience into your home and into your family. You know, earlier in this discussion, we talked about how there wasn't always open support for you and, and for what you wanted to do do you still deal with that today? And what did you eventually do with some of those relationships that weren't supportive or were maybe even toxic?
1: So generally, right now, my life is really good. Like I, I am surrounded by supportive people. And that's by design. It's intentional. And it's not that all my relationships are like perky and perfect. and yeah. you know, <laughs> sunshiny and, and things like that. But because it's life yeah it's it's life and humans are (laughs) humans are imperfect and and that's I think part of our beauty that's like makes us Mm. interesting but also working to ensure that I am surrounded by people who like are good for me like I can have really great relationships with and and who I can who I can support and distancing myself from people who are more toxic and like work to create boundaries and Mm. um and this took time like this took a lot of a lot of work and time and and figuring out how to do that for myself so that it was really healthy for me. And like, it's not necessarily an easy process, but it was worth it. It was really worth it.
0: I am so happy in my life now. I love to hear that. <laughs> I would, I would love to, well, I would love to talk to you forever, basically. But given that we are... <laughs> in a reality that is somewhat constricted by time. I would love to ask you, you've already given us such a beautiful breakdown of, of the dreamer and the writer and the editor. Do you have like another favorite piece of writing advice that has been particularly impactful for you or that you would like to share? Oh, And I say that on top of all of the amazing and incredible things that you've already said. So I might be asking unfairly? Not at all. Not at
1: all. Um, Here's here's one thing that comes to mind. And this is something I know we've talked about before. I I would I would really encourage people to do things that they are passionate about that fills them outside of professional aspirations or necessities. Mm -hmm. So for example, people pay me to write things. And it's great. And I love it. And it's wonderful. And you know, it it helps keep the lights on and, and things like that. And I'm excited and working on like more of that. Like it's, this is, this is great. And I love writing and I'm passionate about it. And one thing that I've found valuable for me is in a world and a culture where it is so common for us to try to monetize our passions is to have a hobby, like have something to engage in that one is passionate about outside of of capitalism, outside of the marketplace, (laughs) like outside of trying to make money, like simply for the joy, simply for the joy. And it like for me, like one of the things I'll do is I, I will write for myself, like things that are only for me. Like that is the intention. And that's not to say that at some point I might put it together and, you know, work on submitting it or, you know, working on getting it published and then like, you know, making money from it. But that's not the original initial point. It was... Because I love doing it and it makes me happy to do it and it brings me joy. And that's the whole point initially. Like for me, I know it's easy to get depleted and I've got to find those ways to fill myself, give myself some energy so that I can do all the other things in life, like work.
0: (laughs) And taking care of your family and taking care of yourself and all the things. Yeah,
1: so i i encourage I encourage passion projects. Maybe they'll make some money someday. That would be nice. That's gravy.
0: That's how Girl in <laughs> Space started. It started as a passion project. Really? And, mm-hmm, I had no intention of making money or a career out of it. And then I I needed to hear that so much. Thank you. Thank you. That is that is such good and and beautiful advice and it I think will remind everyone who hears it of why we're doing this and how we need to do this and I think it goes back to what you were saying earlier about these things that sort of come out this creativity that just kind of comes out and how we need to learn to respect ourselves and trust ourselves and allow that to flow so this has just really come full circle and I'm so excited about that
1: (laughs) I admire that how you <laughs> you like such an amazing interview. And it's like how you're able to like pull things around and tie it together. And
0: you did that. This is, this is all you. <laughs> well, thank you Marguerite. You, every time, every time I speak with you, I just feel like you are, you're just speaking to my spirit and it's not to put any pressure on you or anything, but I just want to express how grateful I am for your presence and, for you granting us this gift of your insight and your wisdom today during this interview. I am really excited to share this with my audience. Before I let you go, uh, if people are interested in hearing your work or learning more about you, where can we send them? Where can they find you? Where do you want to be found, I guess? Where do I want to be found? Well, I'm working on revamping and like putting up my website. So very soon I should
1: have something there and that is at margueritecroft.com. I have been known to spend time on Twitter at Marguerite Croft. I'm on, you know, I'm on Facebook and Instagram, but like a lot of folks that I interact with are on Twitter. So that's mostly where I am right now. And I just had a personal essay published with Apparition Lit, and it should be actually available online right now. Like they've been progressively releasing contents from this issue. So I think it was up last week. And it's it's about taking chances and giving other people a chance. And as part of a lesson I learned from my family history.
0: Um, If you wouldn't mind sharing a link to that, I would love to put that and uh, your Twitter handle as well as margueritecroft.com into the show notes for today's episode so that people can just enjoy your work and support you as a very deserving writer. Thank you. I'd be happy to. I will send you all of those things.
1: Yes, and please. And I'll, I'll send Point Mystic links too.
0: Oh, that's right. And Point Mystic is Marguerite and Christopher have created this amazing audio drama. I love it. I recommend it every chance I can get. It's called Point Mystic. I'll make sure there's a link to that as well in the show notes. Um, Marguerite is also a very fine voice actor within this show. So you're going to you're going to hear her voice um, and it's just you're just going to be so happy about it. I can just tell you that. Thank you.
1: Yeah, I I love it too. It's so
0: good. Um, Marguerite, thank you so much for being on the show today. I know I've said this a hundred times, but thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm so excited to share this episode and so grateful again to have you on. So thank you.
1: Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. You've you've like been a highlight of my week for oh, that makes sure. Makes me happy. <laughs> Probably my <mine laughs>
0: That's so validating. Thank you.